0: Welcome back to another episode of 68 Shining Moments. Today, we have Luke Hancock, who is the most outstanding player in Louisville's 2013 National Title Run. Welcome back to another episode of 68 Shining Moments, and I am thrilled to be joined today by the 2013 Most Outstanding Player from the Final Four, the legend, Luke Hancock. Can I call you a legend? I can call you a legend, right? I'm going to leave that up to you. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to say no. <laughs> So before we actually get into the tournament run of the 2013 season, I want you to think about something for me. All right. The first time Louisville wins a title in 27 years in 2013, they had Russ Smith on the roster. They had Peyton Siva on the roster. They had two pros in the front court in Gorgie and, uh, and Montrez. And it's the kid that transferred in from George Mason that ends up going out and winning Final Four MVP. You realize how how special that is, how cool of a story that is, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's also kind of funny you think about some of the better players across the ACC this year being being transfers and guys who just needed to find a a particular situation, not that they weren't successful before. But um, when you when you step into all that talent, I felt really comfortable just taking a a backseat in terms of production on the court. But really, my goals were to to focus on making all these guys work best together. And uh, I got no problem admitting there were a heck of a lot more talented guys on that roster than myself. Uh, but it was uh, it was fantastic to go through all those moments with those guys. It was really special.
0: And, and I think it really sums up the depth and the talent that you guys actually had on that roster. Where I, I would argue, like the the fifth guy in the uh, in the pecking order was someone that can go out and get you twenty points in back to back Final Four games. So uh, my question then is. When you entered that season, I think you guys were number two in the preseason AP poll. Did you realize that just how good you could be and the potential that this group had?
1: Yeah. You know what? Um, I think that my redshirt year, and I, I'm a big um, proponent of, of just making sure if guys are going to take that redshirt year, they really focus on using it. And it was the most motivating experience for me because our team was good in the Big East when I was a redshirt. You know, Kyle Keurig was in there with most of the same pieces, but we went to the final four and got beat up by Anthony Davis and company uh, from Kentucky. And just being, having to sit back and watch that whole experience from the sidelines, seeing how good our team was, how close we came. And then, you know, being able to say, all right, I have the whole summer to make myself better to try and be that extra cog in this machine to make us national championship worthy and I got to tell you sitting back and seeing them make the final four run and thinking you know as a confident guy I'm going to come in here and add my skill set I'm going to be a leader and a voice for this team and oh by the way all these guys get much better Um, I really felt like we could win a national championship and I don't think I'm unique there I, I think when we looked around that locker room you know we saw the pieces to the puzzle it's kind of shaped how I look at teams now where you have to be complete you know you have to have a big guy that can guard seven foot big plotting centers. You have to have a great finisher, shot blocker, high motor guy like Montrezl Harrell around the rim. You've got to have a great backcourt. And and then one guy who can really score you buckets when the game gets stagnant or when things slow down, that's Russ Smith. So I thought we had all the pieces to the puzzle. Um, I don't think I'm unique in saying we kind of felt like we were going to make a run uh, and, and that we deserve to win a championship.
0: So you guys had that three game losing streak in January. I think the first one was against Syracuse um, at the time you were number one in the country. So what's the mood like at that point? Like how do you kind of dig yourself out of that rut when you, uh, I mean, you're losing three straight games.
1: Yeah. It was a rough couple of weeks of practice, I would say uh, for, uh, for playing under Rick Patino. you know, we played that Syracuse team and Michael Carter Williams and company, and they were very, very good. Um, and after you, become number one in the country the bullseye gets much bigger we knew that but to to back up you know a loss to a top 10 team to an unranked villanova and then an unranked georgetown team it just compounded so much for us and i remember sitting that in the locker room after that georgetown game and, and being a little puzzled sitting back and just being like man what the heck is going on we were on such a run and i would say we were motivated after that to kind of right the ship but it was really the Notre Dame game, and sitting in that locker room after that five overtime loss in South Bend, where we had our coming to Jesus moment. We had our our bonding moment as a team. Um, realized that you know you don't just ride off in the sunset as number one in the country and go win a national championship. You're going to face adversity through the season, and it just seemed to hit us all at, at one quick point. And uh, practices were rough, but it, I credit Coach P because he really brought us closer together. He really, as great coaches will do, magnified the mistakes we were making and, and got us really focused on doing the right things and playing as a team. Because we had, we again, we had the pieces to the puzzle. We didn't lose to Joe Schmoes. You know, they were still good basketball teams, but we felt like we shouldn't have lost to anybody
0: that year. So you end up turning it around. You went out for the regular season, you go and you win the Big East tournament, the bracket comes out. You have Duke as the number two seed in your region. You guys end up playing them in the Elite Eight. Now, they had beaten you already that season, right, in the – I think it was the battle for Atlantis. Um, yep. they were, that was like a top-five matchup. Got a ton of hype heading into that game. Um, so how were you feeling heading into that matchup? Were you like, okay, this is this is where we get our revenge. This is when we get to the Final Four. Like, what's what's going through the, uh, the thought process there?
1: Well, I'll tell you uh... – I obviously played for a great coach in Rick Pitino, but one of the best things he did is he hyped your opponent up like they were going to be able to, to crush you if you were not fully focused. And um, we had that with North Carolina a We thought they were going to come out and just start hitting shots and, and just blow, us, blow the doors off of us. We ended up winning that game by, by quite a few. Colorado State was the number one offensive rebounding team in the country. And so that was our total focus going into that game. Oregon could score the rock. They were so, so good in transition. So good at getting up and down to put a lot of points on the board. That was our focus with Duke. They were such a well-rounded team. It was, you know, how can we focus in on this scouting report, take certain guys out of their games? We felt good going into it. Um, Being in Indianapolis, being the number one seed, having a ton of our fans there really fired us up, but, You know, I remember Duke, as most people will, for for Kevin Ware's injury. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, it was a tale of two halves for us because I think we're down two at halftime. And from when the injury happened late in the first half to halftime, I've never been in a game that felt so weird. It felt so um, unmotivating. It felt like nobody wanted to score. We just had this traumatic thing unfold on the court. He gets, he gets pulled off in a stretcher. There's tears everywhere from both sides. And it was just such a traumatic thing that we really didn't know how to, how to just keep playing. And I think going into that locker room at halftime, you know, I don't know if coach would agree or not, but his best performance as a coach to me was the halftime speech. I still get chills thinking about it. Being able to redirect your thoughts from Kevin Ware's injury and how bad it was and how devastating that injury is to it's go time. Like, you know what makes that injury worse? You know what makes this moment worse is losing this game. And so he, he constantly went for Ware. We're going to go out there and compete and show everybody what we're about, and we're going to do this for Kevin. And, man, we were so fired up for that second half. I think we won the game by about 20 Mm-hmm. after being down two at halftime and and then coach k coined the phrase which i know louisville fans will always remember is those guys can really boom you and uh, when you press for all 40 minutes and you, you try and wear teams down we we definitely had that effect but it, it was just so different for that duke game
0: so one of the iconic images from that tournament run and, and from the, the ncaa tournament itself is after kevin was hurt i just i vividly remember you sitting there, you were one of the guys that went over to him and you're like patting his chest and he's got his hands behind his head and he's like signaling the teammates over. And, and um, so what what happened in that conversation, in that moment? Do you, like, do you remember uh, what you said to him, what he said to you, what he said to the team?
1: Well, he actually reminded me about it afterwards because I, it was, you know, obviously he's in shock. I was the same way. Uh, I'm really not sure what prompted me just to like go right towards him. Um you know, I've had injuries before and some of the more gruesome ones you have, people's faces make it a little worse. You know, I've dislocated my shoulders and when people see it, you know, their facial expression just makes you, you feel worse. It makes you worry more. So my initial thought was I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to be as calm as I can. I'm going to tell Kevin it's going to be all right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a faith based person. And so I immediately started telling him, you know, we're going to say a prayer. We're going to ask for some strength right here uh, to get through this moment and it was like a light switch when when i we said amen it was a light switch man he immediately focused on i want to motivate our team to win the game and that's all he kept saying he's on the ground everybody knows what happened with his leg you know they're trying to cover him up they're trying to get people out there to help him and i'm patting him on the chest telling him it's going to be all right we finished that prayer and he was like bring the guys over here just win the game nobody worry about me i'm going to be fine you guys, we got a job to do. Go out there and win the game. Get it done. And I got to tell you, another incredibly motivating experience. And and I just I can't imagine too many people would with that kind of injury just be able to change their focus, not worry about themselves and just fully be about winning the game and, and knowing what our team had put into it. Um, you know, it, it was pretty special, I think. I, I, th- I mean, Louisville fans will always remember that one. But I think most college
0: basketball fans remember that and will never be able to forget it. I certainly won't. Yeah, I mean, it's it's seared into my mind that moment. I couldn't tell you the details of of how the rest of that game played out, but I can remember everything about that specific play and, and yeah, it was it was not the prettiest moment. All right. So you guys advanced to the final four, you beat Duke. Uh, the first thing I have to do is I have to ask you about a story that Russ Smith told on uh, on Jeff Greer's Floyd Street's Finest podcast. He said on the flight oh. back from uh, from Indianapolis, he managed to to steal a drink from Rick Patanel on the plane. I think he said he stole a gin and tonic. Do you remember this at all? Did he tell you about that? I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember here.
1: I didn't. Uh, he's never told me that story. But I will tell you this, like Russ was that one guy, even if coach is as mad as he has ever been, Russ could ease the tension better than anyone ever. He and Gorgie was very good at it as well, but they're just always smiling. They're always goofy. They're always getting into trouble. So I would, uh, if if Russ said it, I'm sure it happened, but I I don't exactly remember uh, snagging drinks. I also think who takes a bus ride from Indianapolis to Louisville? It's like a two-hour drive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so you're at the Final Four. You're playing Wichita State. There are nine seed in that game. I believe they were up by 12 with 13 minutes left when you guys go on your run. And Tim Henderson, who I don't think anybody outside of the Louisville program could have named before the Final Four, comes in, bangs home two big threes. You have 20 points. So take me through like what motivated that comeback and what you're thinking when you see a walk-on come in and uh, jack up a couple threes and hit him in the Final Four on the biggest stage.
1: Yeah, so uh, during my redshirt year, uh, obviously you can't play, you can't travel. Um, Tim Henderson, uh, in my opinion was the best walk-on in the country and he was physical enough. He could shoot it. He was a high IQ player out there. He played hard as heck every possession. And, uh, I gotta, I gotta be honest, like I loved Kevin's game. He brought a little extra dimension, athleticism, length to the table. But when Kevin went down, we, we all felt really confident that Tim Henderson was going to be able to step up. Um, And he's also playing behind an All-American and Russ Smith. So we were, you know, I don't know how much he's going to be needed, but if he gets called upon, we'll be ready. And they had all complete control of that game. I would have to go back and double check this, but I'm pretty sure they did not have a turnover up until that point. And I think I drove the first one, helped way too much, and I kick it to Tim. He knocks down that first three, and it was – game on from that point. I think everybody kind of looked around like, all right, we needed to see one go in and give us the chance to get in our press in a moment where we can tighten these guys up a little bit. And then turnover after turnover after turnover, they started to play not to lose first playing to win, which just fell right into our hands. You know, we spend the whole game wearing you down. We spend the whole game speeding you up. And for a lot of these games, even the, the Syracuse game, which is one of my favorite games ever in the Big East tournament and the championship game, we're down like 20 points in the second half. And you see the moment in the game. I remember it very vividly. The moment where Michael Carter-Williams throws it out of bounds and starts yelling at his teammate. We were like, all right, there's the crack in the armor that we need. You know, we're going to pick it up even more. And same thing in that Wichita State game. When Tim made that shot, he's going to be known as Wichita Henderson in Louisville, Kentucky forever. But he hits the first one, and we jump in that press right away. They come down, turn it over. Russ throws him the second one in the same exact spot. And when he hit that second one, we just had him right where we wanted. I know people might not believe that, being down six or seven or whatever it was, but we felt so confident at that point that we were going to be able to make our run. And Again, I will say, I thought Tim was the best walk-on in the country. I think outside of maybe the, the top 30 or 40 teams, he would have played – a ton of minutes for almost any Division One team out
0: there. Before we continue that interview, I just have to let you guys know that it is that time of year again. We have waited two years for this moment, and it is finally here. March's biggest tournament is back. Gonzaga's getting ready to run the table. Slippers are being fit as we speak. And our partners over at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, are putting our listeners at the center of the action. How? If you bet $4 on an underdog in a select game this week, and that underdog wins, you win $256. That's right, $256. Here's how it works. You download the app now. You use the promo code FIELD68 when you sign up. Scroll through the list of select underdogs, bet $4 on one of them to win, and cash $256 when they do. There is no better way for you to put your College Hoops knowledge to the test, and then to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. It's safe, it's secure, it's reliable, you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. I know this because I use them. So remember, The code is FIELD68. That's FIELD68 to turn $4 into $256. For a limited time only, must be 21 years or older. Restrictions apply. Go to DraftKings.com for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the the runs that you guys went on. I don't think people quite realize that's kind of how your team was built right once you right. start making those shots once people start getting their legs a little bit worn uh you're able to make a shot getting your press score off a turnover getting your press again like that's how it just kind of builds and it snowballs like that's that's what louisville basketball was built on and that's a perfect segue to the national title game what's what's interesting about that game to me is i think most people will remember it as the spike albrecht game and he like michigan didn't even win the game but it was spike that right. came out and hit the he had 17 in the first half so um I need you to be honest with me. How much did you know about him heading into that game? Where was he on your scouting report? Did you guys even worry about it? I mean, they got, they got Trey Burke. They got all these NBA players on the roster. It's Spike Albrecht out of nowhere coming up with 17 points. What did you know about him heading in?
1: Well, hard uh, coaches were, were held accountable for their scouts. I don't think they're <laughs> leaving anybody off. Um, an incredible three-point shooter. We knew that, but he wasn't you know, a focus. Um, I don't think anybody's going to think that's totally shocking. He should have been, but he was not, he was not a focus. Um, I I would imagine much in the way that Tim Henderson was not a focus, you know, opportunity there came about because Trey got in foul trouble early and he stepped into the game. We knew he hadn't missed a three all tournament long, Uh, a great free throw shooter, a high IQ guy, but he just got all these open opportunities from our matchup zone early on in, in a couple plays in transition that uh, it kind of, it, it was that knockout punch early that we weren't expecting. And once I gave, you know, Tim Henderson and Peyton Siva and Russ Smith enough grief out of every timeout or every stop play that spike was killing them. Um, we eventually started to turn it up and, and slow him down uh, in that second half. But I mean, you're on it. We, we didn't, he wasn't a, a big time focus, Um, and he certainly should have been because he went nuts. And if you go back and watch the game, you'll see me yelling at Peyton and yelling at Tim, and, you know, they're not in the right spot or we're not doing what we worked on. But uh, he found all these little little spots to get himself going. And then some of the shots he hit, I mean, they weren't like they weren't contested. He's getting in the lane, shooting little floaters over Gorgie. He's getting fouled going to the rim. He's making threes right in Russ's face. I mean, once he got going, the guy was lights
0: out. Yeah, and he hit a couple deep ones, too. Like, these weren't just, like, wide open threes with nobody around him. He he hit some tough shots. And, you know, when you're at that level and you have guys that get it going, there's going to be a lot of guys that are able to make those shots um, once they get it going. Now, take me through – you're the guy that kind of sparked the comeback, right? I believe it was four threes and four straight possessions at the end of the first half. I might be wrong on that. But what's – What's going through your head in that moment? Are you just like give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. I'm open. I got to get this shot off. Like how where does where does that run in that that kind of in the zone moment come from?
1: Yeah, you know, Russ had been the guy for us most of the season that would get us our, our spark, that would start scoring a couple and then, you know, it would spark our defense and then it's things would open up for us because everybody would kind of sag in the paint. And uh, I remember being at a in a timeout And coach draws a play for me. And he says, if you move before the screen, and he's very frustrated at this point because we're already down 10, 12, whatever it was. So if you move before the screen, I'm taking you out and I'm not playing you again, period. And so i would heard this basically every game of my college career at Louisville up to this point. But I go under the basket and Nick Stauskas kind of has his arm up. And so I take off early before the screen gets there, trying to pick up a foul coming off a, a double screen. And I get the ball, I end up driving to the goal and getting fouled. So I'm going to the free throw line and he can't take me out, which is perfect because timeout happens TV timeout and I have to go back over there. And he crushes me. I don't even know if we set up a play outside of the defense, but he crushes me the whole timeout. go back out there. I make two free throws. And then what had happened because Kevin Ware was out, I moved over to the two spot and played alongside Wayne Blackshear. And that didn't happen very much because we had a lot of depth at every position and Wayne would come in and play the four spot more than the, more than the three. And so it changed our whole dynamic. I was on the other side of the floor. And once the, the two free throws and the first three went down off the out of bounds underneath play, I was like, all right, time to find some shots. And, uh, and to Peyton's credit, Peyton Siva, such a smart player. He knew how to find the hot hand um, most humble guy. He was just uh, – he was on it. And so he, he found me the next few possessions. And, again, you look at our defensive body language, you look at our mentality, totally changed once we got going. And then the greatest dunk I have seen in a college basketball game, we get a steal up top and uh, Wayne kicks it up to Peyton. He throws this kind of crazy, awkward lob and Montrezl Harrell finishes it. And I got to tell you, I've never heard an arena that loud. Um, and it, it just – it
0: brings back such good memories and gives me chills to think about that run. Montrez literally looked like he was flying on that. Dunk. The picture, that's, that's the one thing I remember. It's impossible to dunk.
1: It really does.
0: Yeah. I, re- I just remember watching him and being like, oh, wow. Okay. There he goes. And it felt like he was in the air for at least 10 minutes when he, when he took off on that. Um, so where, where were you? Where, where was your, your sight line on that dunk? Were you on the court? I'm still
1: on the ground actually. So
0: I, uh,
1: <laughs> I've gone back and looked at this play a couple of times, but, you know, our defense had loose principles. You know, it was it was more like the feel of how things were going than it was like you have to do this. Well, we have a couple of plays where we're supposed to switch screens and we don't. And then we have a couple plays where we shouldn't have switched and we do. Well, the play where we switch and we might not have wanted to was Mitch McGarry comes out to set a screen for Spike Albright and I switch with Gorgie. So Karis LaVert or or Tim Hardaway, they go low, and Gorgie stays with him, and I'm up top in the ball screen. Well, I, like, hit the ground to kind of tap the ball away towards Wayne. It makes my knee blow up to, like, a softball. Like, it looks like I have two knees. I didn't even notice this until hours after the game at the hotel when I finally get to change and take a shower. And uh, it blew my knee up. But your adrenaline's going so much – I stayed on the ground for until the ball gets dumped and then I get up and get in our defensive set. But my, uh, my sight line wasn't that great. I like watching the videos a little bit more than uh, where I saw them
0: from. <laughs> All right, so you guys make your run at the end of the first half. You come back and you kind of take control in the second half and you win the game. Take me through – what do you remember in those moments after the buzzer sounds when you finally get the job done? I, I've talked – I've done a dozen of these interviews by now, and it's interesting, some guys – remember every specific detail like it's seared into their brain and other guys like Steve Merfeld who is the coach the the Hampton head coach when they beat Iowa State and you know that picture of him getting picked up by one of his players he doesn't remember any of that he said he has no recollection of like what happened on that court in that moment so um like do you remember the end of the game when the the, the uh the thing blows up and you have all the confetti coming down and do you do you remember all of that do you remember who you celebrated with where you went who you talked to
1: yeah, I have a, uh, a great picture. It's at my house. It's not in my office here, but um, uh, almost being tackled by the team. And it's VT and Tim Henderson and Dark Slime and Gorgie and, and all the guys, like, run out to half court. And I will never forget that when the when – the, uh, I call it the gun, but when all the stuff actually pops and you got the streamers going everywhere and the music starts playing – it's a lot louder than you think. It's very jolting. Uh, so I remember that I remember hugging the guys and just kind of jumping up and down, being so excited. And uh, I wanted to make sure I told Trey Burke that, that I thought he played a fantastic game and that he was one of the best players in the country and, and, uh, he had a great season. Um, I wanted to make sure I did the same with coach B line. And then really my focus was going to my dad. Uh, I don't know if this, this got picked up all that much. We tried not to, but my dad was really struggling at the time. He passed away a few months after that. And so that was the last game. He got to see me play in person and, you know, he was hurting. So making trips to some of these sites was very difficult. Um, And I'll tell you one of the, this means more to me than anything coach P has ever done for me. I went to him right before we go to Atlanta and I told him my dad was really hurting And I didn't know what he could do to make him more comfortable or to help him or anything, but he's going to try and make it to see our team play in the national championship. And if you go back and watch, my dad's not sitting, you know, good seats. My dad's like row one, seat one right behind the bench for the national championship game. And I think about all the people that were there, all the Louisville royalty, coaches, family, administration, you know, it, it was everybody. And my dad had one of the best seats in the house. So all I was really concerned with after the game, I wanted to to hug the guys, but I wanted to get my piece of the net and I want to take it to my dad. And uh, it's kind of funny. I was so excited to see him and give him a hug after we cut the net down and I'm clenching the net in my hand so hard. So I don't forget it. And then obviously I forget to give him the net after we have a five minute conversation where it's clenched in my hand while he's sitting there right after the game. But (laughs) that was more my focus. Um, it was fun to, to get up on the stage and hear Jim Nance talk about our team and, you know, get to celebrate with those guys and memories. I'll never forget. I remember being out there. Um, uh, I remember some of the conversations with the guys. I remember all the streamers and stuff that gets sent everywhere, trying to get your hats and your shirts and, um, just getting to celebrate. I tried to take every second in because I, I, I knew how special it was. Not everybody gets there. So.
0: So what was the what was the reaction like when you guys get back to Louisville? You know, when you when you show up at the airport, is it, are there people waiting for you there? Like, what, what do you what do you remember about coming back?
1: Yeah, there there were, but um, Louisville put together quite a few uh, ways for our team to celebrate um, events and stuff down at the Yum Center, and I remember I kind of hung on to the national championship trophy, and so I remember like, all right, I got to get from our basketball facility where there were tons of people and reporters back to the dorm. And so I remember buckling it up in my car and I'm just like driving for a minute. I'm just looking over thinking, I got the national championship trophy just buckled up riding shotgun as I head back to the dorm and it stayed in my room for like a week. And uh, one of the guys on the uh, team um, called and was just like, Hey, you ever going to bring that back? Cause we, we need that trophy. And I thought about trying to tell him I lost it or something, but I don't think I could have gotten away with that one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Someone would have found it eventually. Yeah. Um, all right. This is what I want to end with. So you obviously had the, the, the court case to try to, um, get some of this stuff to overturn with some of the rulings from the NCAA. And I'm I just wondering, like, why was that so important to you? And and, and what did it mean to be, have it be a, like everybody that's a Louisville fan, everyone that's a sane college basketball fan that that doesn't wear blue in the state of Kentucky realizes that any kind of uh, wiping away records is probably pretty dumb. But why? Like, why was it so important to you specifically that you went that that far into that length?
1: Well, um You know, I I look back at our team and all the fond memories and I think about all the hard work. And if you really line up what what was done with taking away all the hard work, the lifetime of hard work for these young kids, and it just doesn't make sense to me. And then I look around at all the hypocrisy and all of the, you know, like, like Penn state got all their wins reinstated. You know, why is Louisville put out that they're a bunch of villains and that everybody on that team is terrible and they're cheaters and they're X, Y, and Z. I didn't have any help, you know, to win basketball games, Shane and Russ Smith, Gorgie we didn't have any help to go win basketball games. You know, if, if there was an improper benefit while someone was at school, all right, that seems like something you can deal with. I don't think it warrants taking championships and seasons and wins away from some of these kids. Some of these guys that when you know them personally, they're some of the best guys you'll ever meet. And I was going to try and do everything in my power to reinstate everything I could. And ultimately, the NCAA is like a club. Like they don't have – they're not police officers. They don't have any – if you're not under their umbrella – They don't really have any say over what you do or or how you do it. And I really felt like we needed to take some real action to try and see what we could do. And ultimately, they reinstated wins for the individuals. They reinstated awards for the individuals. But it ended up being that the university had to go back and, and try and get the actual championship reinstated. Um, unfortunately they didn't feel like they had enough power to do that, um, didn't have enough legs to stand on and it, it, we didn't get everything we wanted accomplished to say the least, but, um, we had to at least try. And I, I, really wish the narrative was different. It was some of the best moments of my life. Again, to, to have it somewhat tainted, um, with the experience of my dad getting to go to those games and, you know, it, it, it still hurts. But at the same time, um, and maybe everybody outside Greg Marshall will say that the the best team won. And you know, it's Michigan had like eight pros on that team. Like, what? You did, did 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 the best team win or not? And I don't know if you could have put more talent on that team. We won the games. Um, I hate the narrative that's out there, but ultimately, you know, it is what it is. And I like to to try and live in a way where. You know, people who talk trash about you, nobody believes them anyway. So that's how it goes.
0: Well, anybody that is is sane, like I said, uh will remember that 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 game for what it was and that run for what it was and how much fun it was to watch you guys make all of these ridiculous comebacks. I'm sure that there were uh plenty of Louisville fans that would have uh not complained if you hadn't gotten down by double digits in basically every single game that you played that was relevant in March. But um again, well, what matters this. is the is the net that you got. What matters is the memories that you have and, and the memories you made for all the Louisville fans. So They can't take that away.
1: I totally agree. And I'll tell you, the best part is people's experience, knowing who they were with and what they were doing while they watched that that national championship game and how it brought people closer together, how they love the moment. Like you mentioned, it's been a long time. And I'm sitting here at my office right now. This desk is the national championship floor we played on with a big old national championship logo stamped right here in the middle covered back up so it kind of looks like the uh the court but a good buddy of mine Ted Mitzloff put this together for me and um th- those memories will always bring back some of the best times of my life
0: well I'll tell you what I had to watch that game sitting in between Jeff Borzello and Jeff Goodman so I can promise you it was not one of my uh, best memories of all time so <laughs> Luke I appreciate the time thank you so much for uh for taking some time to chat with me thanks Rob I appreciate it
1: very much